Have you guys ever seen a new product on TV or something that's being offered, maybe a new app, and you've thought to yourself, how did I not think of that idea first, right? It's really frustrating when we see things that take off and are super successful, and we think, that's something that I really could have thought of and I could have done. Why was I uh, beat to the punch? Uh, this is Reed Hastings, and uh, I've not read any of these people's stories. I'm just guessing how this works. Reed decided, I really wish I could rent a movie, but not have to leave the house. Like, what if I could do Blockbuster in my living room? And so he made Netflix, right? And anybody have any idea what Reed Hastings is worth today? $3.7 billion. Yes, with a B. $3.7 billion uh, for founding Netflix. Uh, this is Matt Maloney. Uh, Matt was apparently sitting on his living room thinking, you know, I have all of these menus for takeout like laid out across my table. What if one website had all of those in one place? And so he started Grubhub. And he is the, the poor man of our list here. He made merely about $24 million last year in stock sales, uh, just in one year alone from selling Grubhub stock. Uh, then we've got Ev Williams. This is the guy who really impresses me. He was like, you know, what if we had Facebook, but we put less features into it? Like, let's, what if we just made it like single posts and you could only use so many characters, like Facebook, but leaner. And someone was like, yeah, that's great. And so he made Twitter. And Twitter has made Ev Williams worth uh, $2.6 billion. Travis Kalanick, um, he said, oh, you've, I revealed it. He said, what if everybody just shared their cars, right? We, we've had car shares for years. But he's like, what if we developed a system in which people could share cars and you could get paid for it? And so he made Uber. He's the wealthiest guy on the list. He is worth $6 billion. And then this one I find to be supremely lazy. Uh, this guy is uh, uh, Brian Chesky. And he said, hey, Uber's really awesome. What if we did it with houses? Right? So, like, I mean, he didn't even come up with the idea of sharing. He was just like, oh, Uber's awesome. Why don't we do it with houses? So he created Airbnb, and he is now worth $3.8 billion. Um, I don't want to diminish what these men have done. I think they're probably very business savvy. I think there was a lot of work to develop apps and to raise money and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right, and to purchase the rights and all that kind of stuff. But... In the end, what they have done is mostly they had a great idea and they had it before somebody else. Except, I think we all know, they probably didn't have the idea first, right? There is some guy somewhere living in his basement who's like, I thought of that Uber idea five years before, but I just never got around to doing it, right? How many things do we say, oh, I wanted to do that. I just didn't get to it, right? A new, a new restaurant opens in town. And you're like, oh, I always thought that was a good idea, but I never got around to thinking about it. In reality, a lot of our world, the people who are very successful are not the people who have the idea first or even the people who are the most capable or the people who are the most creative. 
It's the people who just do it. They try it. They move. As we um, continue through our lessons in the book of Matthew, we're going to um, get to a part where Jesus talks about when we have challenges in front of us. Um, Often, when we have a, a new idea or something that we're trying to achieve, we look at the challenge in front of us, and it is so daunting that we never start. Right? The reason that you didn't start Uber is in part because you're like, app, web development, I don't know how to do any of that, right? And it freaked you out. For some of us who are homeowners, we look at our house that way, right? Like, home improvement project, that would be so much work, and we just get terrified, and we don't even want to start, right? Because it's so much in front of us. It's easy to find some sort of task. For those of you who have considered going back to school, You think, oh, maybe I should do this. You go to the website for the university. You pull up a catalog and you immediately remember everything you hated about college. And you're like, no, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Because there's the challenges that rise and they freak us out. And we don't want to take action because we're nervous about how to start. Um, Jesus today is going to talk about how we attack challenges, right? How we go after things that are difficult or confusing or hard. And the thing is, Jesus is working with his disciples, and it would be fair to say that the challenge that Jesus has put in front of his disciples is the kind of challenge like a house improvement or starting a new company that you go, wow, this is way too hard to achieve, right? Uh, Jesus is talking about literally changing the world. And he's like, guys, we're going to go out there and we're going to make it so that God's will is done on earth. That finally all the stuff that's wrong here is going to get fixed. And they're looking around. They're like, I I just count 12 of us. We're going to do it with 12 of us? And he's like, yeah, 12 is enough. And they're like, no, I don't think 12 is enough, right? Like there's all of these. It's an incredibly ambitious goal for Jesus to try to change the world to the degree that he is preaching about with just a few people. But that is because God's kingdom upends things in ways we don't expect. And so Jesus in this passage is going to give some hope to his people that you can start something new. And all of that dauntingness of the beginning of a task does not have to scare you so much because it's not that hard. It comes in the midst of a passage about agriculture. Jesus is using all of these metaphors of uh, farmers and planting and sowing and weeding to talk about what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, we've talked many times in our sermons, kingdom, uh, we always use as a noun. It's really more of a verb in the Greek, right? This is the reign of God, the rule of God, God's will being done in the world. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know, when you try to share your faith and when you try to bring growth to the kingdom and when you try to make things better, this is the way it works. And he's used all these um, metaphors of planting and sowing and a man who sows seeds and those seeds grow up and how they grow different ways in different places. He's used a metaphor that there's going to be weeds that grow up with the plants. Don't cut them down. Don't remove them. Just allow it all to grow up together and we'll sort it out in the end. And then he gets to these two tiny parables that are right back to back, that sort of continues that agricultural farm kind of feel uh, as he continues to preach. Matthew uh, 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed 
which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Um, I'm always, uh, you maybe have noticed in my preaching, I like to preach longer passages because I like to have lots of contact, co uh, content to deal with. Um, this passage terrifies me because it seems so short. But uh, I want to point out just three little things that I think are helpful for us in this. The first, which is what we often focus on here, is that Jesus begins with the idea that it only takes a little bit to start. Just a tiny bit. Um, some of you probably used mustard seeds, right, in your cooking, in the kitchen. Uh, you know that they're very, very tiny. You can fit a whole bunch of them just in the palm of your hand. And Jesus begins with the mustard seed. Uh, and then yeast is wonderful because yeast is microscopic, right? You can't even, uh, I mean, I guess you can have yeast powder or whatever, but you can't really see a single yeast. Um, and Jesus starts with these very tiny things. And he says, you know, just a tiny bit can make a gigantic difference. Um, we all have different challenges that we've looked at, and we've thought, I could never do that. I am not capable. And what Jesus is saying here is, you are capable because it's not your ability, right? You do not have to look at yourself and have this sort of self-deprecating thing of like, I'm too small to handle what's in front of me. Because God says, I've always been about small stuff. I think Jesus could have given a mini sermon here about the history of his people throughout the Hebrew Bible. Uh, God picks a single family in Abraham's family to bless all of humanity. He makes a jailed slave the foundation of his work and builds him up to be the second command in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. He selects Israel because they're small. He says, I chose you because you can't do this on your own. He conquers fortified cities with a bunch of worship ministers blowing on horns. Uh, he fells a giant with a boy. The least, list could go on and on and on. God loves picking little folks to do big jobs. And so Jesus is not preaching anything new here. He says, your faith need only be as big as a mustard seed. That's okay. A little bit is all you need to start. God's work in the world begins with the tiny and the incapable and the incompetent and the unconfident helpless people of the world. That is how God almost always starts his work, is the people who think they're too small and too insignificant to make a difference. And so faith smaller than a mustard seed is enough to get the job done. So that's one piece of these, these metaphors, is small. The next part is growth, right? Jesus says that things can blow up, things can be viral, things can, be, uh, can go from something small to something really big. And we know this. This is true um, in nature. Um, have you ever had a weed come into your yard? And the next thing you know, the weed has taken over the entire yard. And no matter how hard you fight against it, right, it takes over. This is exponential growth in the world of nature. Uh, more seriously, uh, when we talk about pandemics, if you've ever seen the way that disease, like the bubonic plague 
or um, some of the other scary diseases that we've seen uh, grow. Maybe in a science fiction movie, you've seen that scary map where they're like, if they infect one person in New York City, it will grow at this rate. And you can see the waves of disease coming out on their maps, right? Uh, more recently and tragically, we have seen a forest fire in California that started with a flat tire, right? This most recent uh, forest fire, their tire went flat, their wheel came down, it skidded on the ground and made some sparks off the rim of the tire. And those few sparks off one flat tire are enough that have killed 1,000 homes, 163,000 acres of land and eight people because of a flat tire. Now it's terrible and it's, and it's actually been interesting. The family who had the flat tire has been receiving a lot of support because they feel terribly guilty. And it's like, you're driving your car and you got a flat tire, you know, whose fault is that? But it is illustrative of the fact that sometimes we see in our world that a tiny thing can explode into a big thing, right? Uh, but those are kind of serious. There's also the, um, the more silly versions. Somehow, a Korean musician who was middle of his career that no one in America knew has a YouTube video that's shown 3 billion views. Right? We live in a world that loves to go viral, right? The idea that online that something can grow and grow and grow. I was reading this week that um, there are people who try to model pandemics who have tried to find and they believe that they have good research that shows that YouTube videos spread like diseases do. They literally have the same statistical patterns in how they grow. It's hard because it's not geographic. You have to figure out where the connection is on social media. But once you figure out those connections, then you can predictably grow, predict a viral video the same way that you would say, you know, SARS or something. Like, it's just amazing that diseases work the same way that social media does. It should probably tell us something. But we live in a world where we can see little stuff blow up. You all are aware of certain memes or videos or ideas or songs or catchphrases that you only know because it went viral, because one idiot uploaded it and everyone's like, oh, that's dumb. I'm going to share that with all my friends. And the next thing you know, the world is full of it. And I think Jesus might challenge us and say, you know what? If cat videos can go viral, peace and love and kindness and beauty and joy and salvation can do the same thing. If the world is so excited to share silly stuff, they are excited. They would be excited to show beautiful things. And yet we go around sometimes like, oh, well, this will never take off because it's too hard or it's too this or it's too that. And again, I was hopeful in the communion video to show you, no, even in places where it's hard and it's difficult and it's tough, it still takes off like wildfire. In fact, sometimes it takes off there better than it takes off here. But Jesus says things can grow rapidly if you just put in a little faith. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the idea of transformation. This is a little easy to be missed in this passage. Some of you are thinking, well, he talked about small and he talked about grow. That's the parable. But there's one other piece, I think, and that is the idea of transformation. Uh, if you've ever eaten it, you know there's a difference between leavened and unleavened bread, right? If you've ever tried to be a baker at home and you've forgotten to add your leavening agent, you have known the frustration, why isn't this rising? 
because it's just it's a literally chemically different thing when you add leaven to dough. Similarly, that little mustard seed becomes a plant, right? That is a huge change. It is a huge difference. It changes in size. It changes in um, its makeup. Jesus even hints at this when he goes, and even the birds, lay, uh, the birds of the field come and put, make their way into the mustard plant. Uh, scholars have disagreed about this over the years. Some people believe that he's hinting here uh, at the Gentiles, right? That the kingdom of God started with the Jews and it's this mustard seed and then it grows into this plant that even the Gentiles come and be part of the plant. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true, but I think it's a helpful preacher point. If you grow a plant, eventually you're going to attract some weird birds, right? And that is part of life. That's the way things work. That's the way um, things transform. We cannot expect growth without transformation, right? We know this of people. People grow, and as they grow, they change. Um, this is why it's very frustrating when I hear big marital problems. And they're like, well, he's just so different than he used to be. Of course he's different. You said you'd be signed up for the rest of your life. They're going to change, okay? If anybody ever said, well, I married him, but he's a different person now. Of course, right? That's the way it works. People change. People grow. People move in different ways. But I think that's really important for us because... My experience, particularly in church, is that lots of people are excited about growth, but very few people are excited about transformation, right? I would love it if I had more of what I have right now without having to do anything different than I do right now, right? I would love it if I made more money. I don't want to work any more hours. I don't want to change my job. I don't want to take any risks, but it would be nice if I did exactly what I do now and make more money, right? Um... We would love for our church to grow. Well, hey, what about adding this new element that might help bring new people in? Whoa, 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 new element. What are you talking about? No, we're going to do exactly what we've been doing and been stagnant. And then people are just going to randomly show up. That's how it's going to work, right? Like people always want growth without transformation. And so this is a challenge for us is are you going to be willing to do the changes that are necessary to do the growth that you want to do. Because the way seeds become plants and the way the dough becomes bread is that it is literally changed on a physical, chemical level. Uh, I think these passages we often talk about in a couple of ways. Uh, what preachers tend to talk about a lot and we talk about in church a lot is attendance and giving, right? Uh, at this point, how many of you have ever been in a church with one of these? Okay, we still have quite a bit, right? So this is, um, this is, I had one of these when I was a kid. It was my job to change it out sometimes. You got these numbers, and every week you put up the attendance number, and every week you put up the giving number, and it's kind of just a way to let everybody know how you're tracking, right? And the, the letters are made out of kind of like cardstock, and uh, I don't know, it's like a, it's, I love it as a piece of church minutiae. Right? Like for those of us that grew up with it, it like almost warms your heart to see one of these old things. But this is the way a lot of people look at this parable. When Jesus says, you know, when you start like a mustard seed, it can grow into a grape plant. And people hear, ooh, that 30 can become 300, can become 3,000, right? Like that's immediately what we consider is numerical growth. And I don't think that's totally wrong. Um, I'm of the opinion that 10 transformed lives is a lot more exciting than one transformed life. Don't get me wrong. The one life is great. But if you have 10 people whose lives are a lot better, that's better than having one person whose life is a lot better. 
And so, yeah, I do think there's a numerical piece to this. Um, but I think when God, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he also is talking about a personal growth, right? The ability to change who you are, the ability to become kinder and gentler and more loving and more patient, the ability to take on new challenges, pick up new skills, to just be more capable to handle the world that you live in. And he says, I think he's saying the same thing, that if you put in a little effort, if you are short-tempered, and you just put in a mustard seed worth of, please help me be patient. Eventually that can grow into like, holy cow, this guy's so patient now. How did that happen? Right? Like you can change. We say an old dog can't learn new tricks. That's baloney. It's not in the Bible, right? You can definitely change and grow. And it usually just takes one little step to start. And so I think this parable is very exciting for us because it gives us the opportunity to consider those growth things. Um, and I think it really asks us a legitimate question of, do you, do you want to make that growth? Because if it does take transformation, if it is hard, then do you, do you want to go there? If you have a personality issue that needs to be dealt with, you have something in your life that's not good, do you want that to get better or are you kind of okay with how you are? Um, as a church, we have to ask ourselves if we're all right with changes, uh, we've, we are becoming scarily close to an established church at some point, right? We've been around for three years. And so we like to think, oh, we're a church plant, man. We're moving and grooving and we'll do it. Well, nobody says that. But, you know, like we're, gonna, we're willing to change and we're willing to adapt. Well, once you've been doing something for three years, then you start to not want to adapt it anymore. And so if there's things that we could do, and this is not like some ominous, like things are about to change sermon. I'm just saying like if those things do have to change, if we have new people and new um, experiences and things that change who we are as a church and changes how we function and, you know, I don't know, changes when and where we meet or whatever. Were those things that would be like, yes, or are those things will be like, oh, that's too scary. Because change uh, brings transformation. And so I wonder if we expect it. Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom, expects radical, amazing change and growth. I think a lot of us look at it and we're terrified, right? A lot of us think about change and growth, whether it be personal or organizational or family. And we're like, I just got here. I am comfortable. This is a good place. Why am I jumping out of this place to some place that's not this place when I enjoy this place? And in the response to that, I think Jesus looks at us and says, just have a little bit of faith. Just try something new. Just do it. Because otherwise you'll be sitting back and you go, why didn't I think of that? And you did. You just were too scared to do it. For some of us as individuals, this means that we need to face changing things in ourselves that terrifies us. Because we're not going to be able to do the stuff that we're comfortable anymore. Uh, for some of our families, that means finally facing a challenge that's felt really, really crushing. As a church, it means that there are dreams and desires that we have that we cannot let kind of die or become cold or boring or ignored. Um, I really do think that sometimes God wants to ask us, would you just stop fretting about it and just try it? Like, will you just do it? Will you stop planning and thinking and considering forever and actually try it? 
just a little bit, just a mustard seed. It's all it takes and I can transform things. Even watching that video of the Chinese church, right? And he says, every day people in this apartment building are coming to Jesus. Honestly, there's a little voice in yourself that goes, oh, it doesn't work that way here. Well, maybe it would if you'd talk to somebody about Jesus, <laughs> right? And that's not just that I'm not looking at you guys. I'm looking at me too, right? Maybe the reason that we don't have the transformation here is because we don't even have a mustard seed worth of effort going in. Um, I think in the end, uh, God does want to transform things for, for us. Uh, I think often we are scared to start something new because we think it's going to fail. But God is excited that we might start something new because he knows how it can grow wildly. We have this idea, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work, God. And he's like, just do it, do it, do it. Do you know what could happen? Do you know where it could go? Do you know what we could do? I mean, this is this fascinating thing. I, I, I don't talk this way often, but we talk about, too, about like Satan and the devil and the things that Satan doesn't want to happen. I think there are times where we have something in our hands that feels really feeble and impotent, and Satan looks at it and goes, that's a nuclear weapon ready to happen. Just put it away, <laughs> right? And we're like, oh, you're right. I won't do anything with it. And Jesus is just a little bit can make incredible change. It's my hope that if you have something like that in your life, that you take first steps towards that. Today, go do it. Because God can bring unbelievable growth to our mustard seeds. All right. Um, we have question and answer periods at the end of our sermons. So if there was something in today's lesson about the passage or again about uh, application or about anything, feel free to ask. Yes, Mr. Ray. Yeah, Fran and I have been talking about this lately. So Fran is a very detail-oriented person. I'm a lot more of a vision person. So the reason she's great is I'm like, Fran, let's do this thing that'll transform the neighborhood. And she's like, we don't have like any of the money or the people or the expertise or that requires nuclear fission and we don't have that possible. And I'm like, oh man, you're right, right? And so sometimes she helps me to be like, oh, that is literally impossible to do. Like, human flight is not going to come anytime soon. Um, but then the flip side is sometimes she's like, oh, well, there's this thing that we, I want to do, but then what about this and this and this and this? I'm like, friend, that is seriously three months down the road. Like, those are problems for tomorrow. If you take this step today, let's worry about that problem tomorrow, right? And so that's where occasionally I can be a benefit is to say, yeah, let's just do the first part of it and then if that works, then we'll do the next part, you know. Uh, kids are great about this. Having children works this way because you can't plan them all out ahead. And so you're just like, let's get the child alive through today. And then once you do that, you're like, all right, one day under my belt. Let's do tomorrow. And it kind of teaches you some of that day by day.